Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! Hey everyone, just a quick preface to the episode. Bex, Taylor, Klaus identifies as they, them, something Roger nor I knew before recording this episode, so we just wanted to make sure we respected and acknowledged that fact. So hopefully you will enjoy the episode. Thank you. Troy, listeners, hello, it's Roger, and I just want to acknowledge that today is... Tuesday, October 12th, 2021. I mean, by the time you're listening to this, it's not. But in this very moment is Tuesday, October 12th. Troy, what the fuck did you think of the Scream trailer? Ooh, yes. I I was wondering if you were going to bring that up. It was a huge day for horror fans across the globe. Huge. Because the Scream, the Scream trailer dropped. And like most, you know, films that have a huge... um. Oh, anticipation built and hype built. There was definitely, I definitely saw a lot of different opinions. I saw some people say it looked great. Some people were like, oh, it looks meh. But overall, I was very pleased with it. And I think that it did exactly what it needed to do for a trailer to a Scream film. And that was A, make us show us the original cast, Courtney, David, and Nev, of course, and show them as kind of a prominent part of the film, which it did. And then B, show us the the fresh faces in the cast. And what I really like is that it's, it looks super diverse. Um, definitely not like a, a screen movie of, of the past. A very diverse looking cast, which is always great. And C, it did not give too much away. But it gave us Ghostface, it gave us the, the staples of a Scream franchise, Ghostface, the calls, the chases, but it didn't give anything away. And that's what I was so worried about. I was I was so worried that it was going to go like the Blumhouse route and just spoil everything or, or do some major spoils and spoilers, and it really didn't. In fact, it got me looking forward to the film even more so now than, than I was. I'm actually probably looking forward to it more than like Halloween Kills. So what did you think? You know, it's funny, Troy, because I am like, you know, you ending that on the note, Halloween Kills. I was not a, at all a fan of the Halloween 2018 film. But now, uh, looking back on it in retrospect, um, I'm still very curious now at this point to see where they take the story. And I really love the fact that they're leaning heavily into the Halloween canon. Like, you know, sp- supporting characters from the original film people from within the town of Haddonfield you're starting to see this world like come back to life that's really unique and it's drawing me back in even when I thought it couldn't so I think what I'm about to say regarding the Scream trailer I don't want to in any way say that I'm any less excited or any less um feel like filled with anticipation for it I'm really happy they're making another one but I will say after viewing this trailer it's the first time that I felt concerned that it's all been done before. Like, there's only so much of a su- surprise suspense factor left in telling this story, which, and no matter how you break it down, they're still getting basically the same story over and over. These three up against some maniacal force who is somehow tied yeah. tied to them, like, within their lives, who is, like, you know, teaching them a lesson in one way, shape, or form and killing people around them. My um, m- My worry is that 
the Scream series will eventually become a parody of within itself of the Stab series that exists within the Scream franchise within that world. Um, and I do hope, like, I hope this film proves to breathe some fresh life into the series. Um, I really, honestly, I hate to say it, but I need one of the three of them to die. And I, I just need to see the stakes get oh, yeah. raised across the board higher stakes but does that mean i didn't find it exciting no like i was like oh cool everything i expected from a scream movie i'm getting but everything i was expecting i'm getting well i mean i need i know i get what you're saying but i feel like if it would have went too off the rails uh fans would have really complained about that people love scream for a very specific reason and it follows a formula and the formula for the most part worked And, and when they did try to stray from the formula a little bit with Scream 3, it became the worst of the franchise oh. by far. So, I mean, I, I like the fact that it, it goes. It looks like a Scream film. And actually, I will say that. I don't want to do all too... This isn't about Scream, but I do want to say I really thought the trailer looks like a Scream film. It really does. It, it looks like a Scream film. It, they captured the whole uh, Wes Craven look and feel that he injected into Scream very well. I'm super excited. I mean, to me, like you're, you're saying, well, there's not much more. It, 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 it's pretty much what I expected. But I mean, we're talking about a franchise that this is what the fifth film versus Halloween Kills, which is what the 15th film in the freaking franchise. I mean, talk about <laughs> doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, but I am curious to see Halloween Kills. But I, I Scream has me a little bit more excited just because I've seen Halloween. I've seen Michael Myers done to death. I, I'm ready for that whole thing to kind of end. And I'm really excited to see where these young, fresh, enthusiastic filmmakers behind the Scream sequel take it because I loved Ready or Not. I think they are going to throw in some major surprises. I think they were very careful with the trailer not to give anything away, which I really appreciate. Mm -hmm. But yeah, congrats. Happy Scream trailer day fans. January is coming up quick. So we will see who's right, you know, in terms of, you know how the film turns out so yeah so roger it's we've mentioned it's october we have some great things going on we have our patreon up and running and we, we do actually recorded our very first uh special mini bonus episode that's up on the patreon as we speak so if you go and join the Patreon, you're going to get access to it. It's a mini episode. It is. We talk about our top three choices for underrated final girls. It's a good it's one. It's a good one. It's, it, it's, it's fun. fun. It's short. You know, you're not going to be sitting here for two hours like our normal episodes. It's about 30 minutes because it's a mini one. Now, we will put the regular length episode bonus episodes up. In fact, at the end of this episode, we'll t- kind of tell you what we're going to do. But yeah, check it out. Patreon. Just go to patreon.com. Search for Dark Knight of the Podcast or the link will be in the show notes. We do have two patrons that we want to give a shout out to. The first two that join without any content even being up. So we have to thank them. So we want to give a huge thanks to Simon Logan and Steven Ramirez for joining our Patreon. And uh, they're going to get access to some awesome bonus content. So if you if you like that, it, it's really uh, just a couple dollars a month. They'll get you access to that. And, and, and in the process, you'll be really helping us improve the show. So that's our little spiel about Patreon. Join it. You get a shout out. You get some cool bonus content. And we are going to record our 
first full-length uh, bonus Patreon episode this weekend, and we will tell you what it is at the end of this episode, along with what our next episode will cover, our, our regular episode. So shall we get into this, Roger? Is there anything you want to mention, or should we just get right into this movie? Because I'm excited to talk about this movie. I mean, aside from what we opened with, this, you know, the Scream trailer, we also have to acknowledge this weekend we're going to have the, the next Halloween film hitting theaters, hitting Peacock. So that's something else that is very much the season. You know, I, I get the vibes from these trailers that this this film really is going to set the season. And this, I don't know about you, Troy, but I feel like this Halloween season is the most Halloween-y Halloween I've experienced in years. I think it's because people are just aching to get back out and have like a normal social experience outside of their homes. And I love it. My street is like decorated all the way down. Almost every single house is glowing with lights. It's just great. And you know, I love that we've got some great titles coming out. Um, and I'm just going to keep tracking them over the rest of the course of the next couple weeks, just because I don't want our listeners to forget that we have those to look forward to as well. But right now, the topic at hand is a film that is also very of the season. You selected a movie that is honestly perfect for this time of year right now. Um, 2021 Halloween. It just feels like this film. And what a great a great call on your part, Troy. Because I'm really just happy I revisited this movie uh, the time I did. Thanks to you. Thank you. It's a good, it's a good one. It's a good one. And we are going to be discussing the 2018 theatrically released, may I say, slasher flick, Halloween-themed slasher flick, Hellfest. Mm. Yeah, starring uh, Amy Forsyth, uh, Rain Edwards, Bex Taylor Klaus, uh, and some other engaging. And a brief cameo from Tony Todd. Less- from Tony Todd. Let, we, yes, we must say Todd. he's in it very briefly, but his voice is very prominent. <laughs> Uh, my experience with this film, I actually went to this theater, this film opened in theaters in October and excuse me, unfortunately, um, it kind of bombed at the box office. Uh, I know that when I went and saw it in the theater, I was the only person in the entire theater. Uh, you can like go to my Instagram and scroll if you want to scroll two years back and see a, a, the, my, a post of me holding the Hellfest ticket and I'm the only one in the theater, which was sad because this film, I feel like deserved to a lot more attention than what it received and, and it deserved to do well at the box office. It kind of kills me and I'm going to go off a little tangent here. I'll try not to go off too, too far, but it kind of kills me that we as horror fans are always like pining for like the uh, the next great horror film to make it into theaters we we, we want to see something new particularly like the slasher genre we're always pining for a new slasher flick because slasher flicks let's face it unless it's a sequel or a remake to a very well-established franchise they don't really make it into theaters anymore when we do get something that is a competently made fun slasher flick like hellfest that gets into theaters, it seems like uh, instead of flocking to it and, and giving it some love like this, should horror fans kind of ignore it and it's like, oh, I don't want to see that. It looks like a ripoff of so-and-so. 
oh, oh, it looks like a ripoff. Why would I go see that? Well, you know, you need to make up your mind. Do you want new slasher flicks or do you want the same old, same old? Because this, 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 this could have been the start of a really great franchise and a really great like late 20, you know, 20 teens slasher emergence or, or boom. And because it bombed, it kind of just went went away real quick and, and nobody really talks about it anymore. So that's my little spiel. You guys, you should have went and saw Hellfest. You should have gave it some love because it is very competently made and, and certainly entertaining enough. Yeah. And I think when you're talking about, I mean, it came out in 2018. What else came out 2018? That, that month was the Halloween remake. And I think that based off what you're saying, I, I think there's you're accurate in saying that, and I want to even explore that further. The Halloween sequel, to the 2018 sequel, got a shit ton of attention, broke records, made a ton of money at the box office. That's awesome. That's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you, like you just said a little bit ago, it's like the 15th entry in a film series. And I, I get the idea of having iconic characters and it's great to see Jamie back and so forth and so on. But yeah, what about the fresh material? You know, you push these series for so far and eventually it's just like, what's left to them? You know, you've literally, literally eaten all the meat off of the bone. At least you've got a movie like this that comes out to little to no fanfare, and it really was something unique. That's what stands out to me about this film, is it's a slasher, but it's it doesn't really steal a lot from other films, in my opinion. Is it the environment, the, the, the core group of characters, they're their own story, and they're telling an entertaining story at that. It really doesn't make sense to me that a movie like this would go so under the radar when a film that's like like we said the 15th entry into a, a series of franchise is getting so <laughs> so much love and attention. Are we as horror fans doing our part? Are we only playing favorites, you know? Yeah, it's an interesting question. It's an interesting question. I'm not saying every horror fan is like that, but I, it just surprised me that this film, you know, word of mouth and whatnot didn't didn't pick up and 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 have this film be a little bit more successful. It came out about two weeks before Halloween, so it was in theaters a little bit before Halloween. So there was a chance for horror fans to really clamor to it and go see it. But like I said, I I went on like it, and it was like a Friday. You know, it wasn't like a late, late showing, but it was like after work on a Friday. So it would have been probably around six, which is, you know, a a prime time for movie theaters. And I literally was the only one in there. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, really? And then I've seen, you know, I've seen a lot of positive uh, reception to this film online. And I've seen some people say not so great things about it, but we're going to get into it. So shall we shall we start with Hellfest? Let the games fucking begin, Troy. Yeah, and I mean, we're we're not. We're, I'm not saying this is an original film by any means, because even the opening scene is something we've seen done before. Uh, it it opens in a haunted house attraction, and you have a you hear a voiceover. It's kind of like the credits are are beginning of a girl say you know girls talking, and the you don't see the girl, but she's talking about how this weird man has been stalking her all night, and it's kind of creepy. The girls enter a Halloween attraction, and it's very Halloween-like. We get all kinds of jump scares, uh, things popping out at them, you know, just typical shenanigans. And there is a room that has, like, all these mannequins in it, and the girl somehow gets separated. So the one girl is by herself, and as she's walking through this room with these mannequins, there's a, a, a scene of this mannequin that, like, turns its head towards her. 
and, and starts following her. And she goes into another room and he's humming, which is something he does throughout the whole film. This killer like hums this little tune as he's, you know, stalking his victims. He corners her. She's like, oh my God, you're the guy that's been following me all night. What's your problem? Why? What do you, what do you want? And within, there's not even a hesitation. He shoves a knife into her stomach stabs her brutally and then proceeds to drag her body into the other room where all these hanging mannequins are and rope her around the neck and hang her in this this halloween attraction a very fun opening scene that lets us know exactly what we're in for like i said is it is it original no we we've seen something similar like do you remember the movie like dark ride that has a very similar opening scene with two girls getting killed in mm-hmm. a haunted house attraction but I like the opening scene. I mean, it goes. It shows us what what we're in for right away. Oh yeah, I, I think there's a few things uh, to do with the opening sequence that really help set a great tone and pace for the film. First of all, the way it's edited with the opening credits, like it really it just skims all the fat. Like you get this basic setup. You're introduced to this group of girls. You see how they break off, how they separate. He targets one of them. He very specifically targets the girls he's following throughout the course of the film. So this Mm -hmm. is the first example of that. And, you know, he targets her and he kills her. And uh, one little thing I do want to say is there's a part of me that wishes the first time you see him, he's in a mannequin in the mannequin room and he's wearing a cape. And a part of me wishes he fucking wore like the cape because I think his overall costume is kind of like lackluster. But as the movie progresses, it makes sense why it is the way it is. So like I'm not really gonna bitch about it. But um I wish there was something more to like the aesthetic of his costume, to the silhouette of his costume. Cause he just kind of looks like a normal guy in a hoodie. And then he is kind of a cool mask. But that aside, the brutality of the way he approaches his kills is really great. And, like, the stab straight to the gut, like, it is just without hesitation. He stabs his chick. And what would have been, like, an okay kill is elevated because they take the extra time to have this whole sequence where he rigs the body of uh-huh. these other mannequins that look like they're they're hanging from the ceiling. So he rigs her to be basically hung from the ceiling. And she, you know, she dies there you see her kind of seizuring and then she just dies amongst all these other mannequins so she looks like part of the display and it's such a great way to like end this moment and also show that for the most part this killer he has some really great kill sequences and they always almost every single time take it a step further to ensure that the kill is great i'm really impressed by the way they handle a, a large majority of their kills and this is i think a great example of how they do that the, the movie i have to say right away the pacing of the movie is spot on it never drags mm-hmm. uh, it, it actually it moves at a pretty brisk pace they're all there's always something going on and it, it flies by it doesn't see it's an hour and like 28 minutes but it really doesn't seem that that long at all it flies by pretty quickly and it has to do with the pacing and the editing uh, I mean, yeah. even like this next scene after the title card pops up, which the title card says Hellfest in this very like 80s stylish font that I thought was pretty cool. But the next scene is we get introduced to our, well, she's our main girl, right? Natalie is her name. And she's being dropped off at her yeah. friend's house. And her friend is is Brooke, played by Rain Edwards, who if you've never seen it is a kick-ass final girl in the um, Hulu after dark uh, entry called Pilgrim. I've seen it. Oh my gosh. I didn't even put two. I didn't put two two together. With yeah. That. 
Yeah, she's the final girl in that movie. Uh, but she is. Uh, so they, they, she goes. Natalie goes into uh, Brooke's house, and they have some chatting. And we are introduced to the other female friend in this trio named Taylor, played by the lovely. I loved. I love her to death. Bex Taylor Klaus who played in the Scream, MTV Scream television series, who actually had the chance to meet a couple years ago and actually have a pretty significant conversation with at Texas Frightmare Weekend. I right away like all three of these characters. Uh, I feel like they're very real. Yeah. Their interactions together seem very natural. I know that when this movie came out, a lot of people said they did not like the Bex Taylor Klaus character that she got on their nerves. I think she's the the most fun character of the three. Like she's the one I would totally hang out with. Just the the bubbly, sarcastic, kind of sometimes inappropriate, you know, stuff she says. I, I like her. I was when I I like her character a lot. She's probably my favorite of the three. You know, I, I think part of that issue is She's played, this character is played very well, but she's not necessarily a character that you would like. She is that friend that always takes things a pinch too far. She's a bit louder than everyone else. She's more overly sexualized than everyone else within the group. And this movie, I mean, I do appreciate that this is not a heavily sexualized film. She's just a horny teenager. And she plays the role to perfection. But with that, she also has all those, all of the annoying aspects that would make a teen, a teen. She's loud, she's obnoxious. But, I mean, I think one of the reasons this film is, in my opinion, it's so successful is because, like you said, you know, th- at the beginning of this, it really isn't anything totally new, um, but it's a fresh modern film with a fucking great cast. This cast, like, I forgot. I sat down and revisited this film, you know, preparing for this review, and my God, like... I can't think of a more natural cast in a, in a film like this. The chemistry is palpable. They're having the time of their fucking lives filming this. I genuinely believe these people loved each other. I can't imagine them faking it any other way. Whether you're annoyed with them or not, like they are believable in their roles. They feel like college, like early college students. And um, I don't dislike a single character. I might find Taylor annoying, sure, but like... I get who she is. I know that person. I grew up in that, you know, when I was that age, I grew up with plenty of girls like that. And it makes complete sense why she'd be in this group. So, yeah, I mean, this cast really takes the material and elevates it. Yeah. Taylor's first interaction with Natalie is uh, she she calls her uh, grade school throughout the whole film. So they must have some back back ground they were in grade school together i don't know but she does mention about this this gavin kid that brooke told brooke told uh, taylor that that natalie was really attracted to gavin and wants to ride his dick and i mean yeah taylor makes some inappropriate comments but i think she's a hoot uh i really enjoy her they have really nice interaction uh brooke and taylor go into her bedroom and they're just kind of having a conversation about this gavin guy he got him VIP passes to Hellfest and Natalie or Brooke is like, you you can't wear what you have on. And so they have to go into her closet and find something to wear. Although basically when she shows up to Hellfest, she's basically wearing exactly what she had on. I was like, I was confused. Uh, It's just a different block. It's like a different color blouse, but it's exactly what she had on. But uh, you do get introduced real quickly to Brooke's boyfriend, Quinn. 
who is adorable. So pretty. Oh, adorable. oh my God. Yes. And, you know, I, and again, they, these characters, these actors have such great chemistry, even like he's first introduced to, 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 to us, the viewer, within this cast, you can tell instant chemistry between all of them. Yeah, this director had to have a great connection with this cast because you can tell that the ba- it's it's not it doesn't feel like dialogue. It feels like literal just banter, like banter you would have with your friends, like and they all have like little voices they do with each other at times like the couple Mm -hmm. like they kind of like go into these little voices with each other or these little tones with each other that seem just like such good character choices uh yeah great fucking cast um one thing you mentioned that i want to acknowledge is the fact that um she's wearing the same basically the same thing because yes (laughs) everyone that attends this event is dressed in day wear which like i get it they're going to a haunted house but i want to say one thing there is another movie out there that this film has a shit ton of similarities shares similarities with and it's the film haunt yeah Mm -hmm. and um i don't want to go into like which one's better because i really don't know i mean they're both really great films but they both have things that i would say like certain strengths where that outshine the other movie here and there and i feel in this movie's case haunt actually made the decision to put all of the characters in like halloween attire and that just added that much more for me for this kind of film i loved it um i wish that these characters maybe they got to play with that a little bit but i also think it's very very interesting that the supporting best friend role in either film is both films a girl of color both girls have very similar hairstyles and both girls are also wearing pieces of like costume that are pussycat related. <laughs> like they both have cat ears and the only costume choice that Brooke has or anyone really has, but Brooke makes the decision to wear cat ears, like kind of like a little costume piece. And I was like, wow, that's such a specific similarity to share with another film of such like a similar vein. I wonder how that happened because it is, it's noticeable, you know? Yeah. Cat ears seem to be a pretty common, you know, Halloween attire for for females and slasher movies that take place on Halloween for some reason. But yeah, I agree with you. I was a little confused by the wardrobe choices considering it was Halloween and considering Brooke specifically has a line to Natalie that, hey, this is Halloween. It's your chance to dress a little slutty. And, and none of them really do. They're all just in like, like you said, it's just day attire, jeans and a blouse and a jacket. Even the guys are just very like preppy, you know, Hollister, you know, model attire. I was I was curious why they weren't why did why they didn't put them in costumes to give it just that extra Halloween atmosphere because the film otherwise is drenched in Halloween atmosphere, and it's just confusing that the characters didn't really fall in line with that i do like though we get this real quick scene with 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 this with natalie taylor uh brooke and quinn for a split second and like i said the pacing of this movie is spot on because it wastes no time literally it cuts to them entering hellfest that night there's no filler there's nothing it's basically okay introduce you to characters we're going to take you right to the action so the film cuts their walk into Hellfest. Uh, it's a large like amusement park, basically, which I was a little confused because this thing is elaborate as fuck. Am I right? This has like tons of mazes. I mean, it's fucking it's like a Six Flags. Who's funding this? Like, where are they getting the money for? But this? I don't know. But here's the here's the thing that I was confused about. Burke makes the comment because when she says Gavin got us um, 
VIP passes to Hellfest, Natalie's like, well, what's that? And Brooke says, it's a traveling haunted house attraction. I'm like, tra- the ha- this is not a traveling anything. This is like <sighs> buildings, elaborate setups. This is not something you're pulling behind a fucking trailer down the street through Iowa to set it up at different little cities. <laughs> this is a fucking full-fledged amusement park. There's like a full cast of people, like shit tons of people, like, like very elaborate costumes. Like I, I can't understand who can afford to fund this massive event, there's one point where they do like an aerial shot of the whole thing, and it's like filled with like a like a green mm-hmm. mist, and it, it appears to go for miles. Like it literally is absurdly overdone. But you know what, man? I don't complain about it because it really does add so much to the film. Like this, like you said, it's just dripping, dripping, dripping with seasonal, just Halloween vibes, and it is fucking great and like it never le- it's relentless with it it never lets up on it once you're in hellfest you're there to the fucking final frame of the movie in the sense of the tone and the halloween even when they do leave the event at one point it's still like halloween decorations on all the houses and everything so yeah they they really just slather it on and i adore that aspect of it um one thing is we do start to get into these character interactions with the larger group because you're going to start to see natalie interacting with what is a romantic potential romantic interest for her natalie you spoke recently about final girls fitting like a certain kind of mold which is like that good girl who's who kind of stands up and rises up at the end and is makes the right choices you know and i think natalie is looking back on having had a recent back and forth conversation with you about like underrated final girls this chick is a great female lead She's natural. She's likable. She's she's clearly the good girl of the group, but it's not like stuck up or overwhelming. She's just, she's kind of the goody two shoes, but God, she's likable. I fucking love her in this film. I think she's fantastic and I think she deserves more attention. Uh, and her interactions coming up with uh, her, you know, like I said, her romantic kind of love interest for a bit. They're great. They are. They really seem like a real couple. Before we get introduced to him, though, uh, Taylor does tell them that a girl a couple years back was actually really murdered in a haunted house attraction and she was gutted and hung and nobody found her body for like three days until she started to stink from from decomposition. So we know, obviously, that was the, the, the opening kill. So I like that little tie-in where it's not just random. It is brought up again. They do run into now Gavin and Asher who is another male lead who is, or another male character who is actually Taylor's boyfriend, we find out. And Gavin is the one that got, has their VIP wristbands, so he gives them the wristbands. There's some interaction between them and the group. Gavin seems like a really sweet kid, um, very like awkward, kind of dorky uh, in a very charming way. I, I, I adored this character and his interaction with Natalie. I really did. Just... I don't know. There's something charming about him. They're awkward and endearing together. They're both kind of like the goody goodies of the group. And they like gravitate towards each other because of that. And that makes for some very natural dialogue between them. Oh, there's the scene. There's the scene right away where they're, they're off on their own and they're talking about like, Oh, I think your friends think something's going to happen between us. She's like, Oh, what gives you that indication? And they're just, it's just very natural, very realistic. Like you really get, 
the vibe that these two are are experiencing what they're experiencing. I don't feel like acting at all. It, it's very natural. I have a little bit of a of a a little bit of a cinematic crush on Asher. I don't know why. I don't know what it is about him. He's kind of short. I, I love short guys. I think they're so cute. Um, and he's just really very pretty. And I looked up photos of him after after this, and his body's kicking. Roger, you pervert. This is a, this is an eighteen year old boy. Uh, <laughs> oh my god. How old is he supposed to be in this movie? Like 18, right? uh, I don't know. 17, 16? Um, uh, I mean, uh, to be honest with you, of all the characters, he's probably the one that I felt the least connection to just because he has the least to do in the film. Yeah. Uh, so I really didn't ever like feel like, oh, this is a character I really like or really understand or really don't want to see die. To me, it was just a filler character that didn't have a lot to do. But his death scene fucking stellar yeah one of the best so yeah yeah as they're walking through hellfest there's just a lot of there are a lot of random shots of the characters walking through this giant attraction and as they're walking we do get like jump scares of like the characters that are the actors that are in the actual attraction jumping out and scaring the group at random moments that makes them effective jump scares. But they are walking through talking about all these different mazes and which one's the best, which one they want to go through first. And as they're doing this, we do see some ominous guy come through the gate of Hellfest and he's scanned and, you know, and we just see his feet walking, walking very slowly, but very deliberately. And as he's walking in, he lands eyes on this group of girls and uh, something attracts him to these girls and he pulls out this mask, puts it on, and then purposely goes and bumps into the one of the girls. And she's like, you asshole, watch where you're going. And as they walk away, he watches these three girls go into this one of these uh, actual indoor attractions. He charges right after him, grabs a knife off a concession stand and follows him right into this attraction. Now that we're in in it, we're in Hellfest. I really want to take a moment to acknowledge, aside from the amazing set design, the lighting mm. with in this movie is yes. some of the fucking best. Like, it is stunning. This movie is lit to perfection. The colors, the gels, the the uh, occasional use of, like, strobe lights or so forth. Uh, it just, I mean, every scene is just drenched and flooded with color and the usage of mist and smoke and it just makes everything about this world feel vibrant and textured and like you can almost touch it and like i mean watching it again sitting down and revisiting this movie i i was blown away i i forgot how visually stunning this film is like it, it goes above and beyond the standard horror movie yes that's okay thank you for saying that that is one of the reasons why i feel like this film uh, why doesn't it get the attention it deserves? Because the, the, the production design uh, of this film, I'm going to say it, is probably the best of any horror movie in the last 20 years. I mean, mm -hmm. you look at this film and everything is just top notch. Cinematography, lighting, like I said, uh, the, the, the set, everything. And, you know, you, you talk about a movie like Haunt and yeah, you don't want to compare them, but the the thing about haunt versus this film is haunt is more of a the attraction in haunt is not anywhere near as elaborate or eye catching or anything like this film haunt takes place very in a very claustrophobic like small 
indoor attraction, which plays into its favor a lot of times because it becomes a very claustrophobic movie at times. This film has a much broader you know, look to it. You have a huge attraction. You have a, a lot of opportunities for some great cinematic, beautiful, sweeping shots, overhead shots. And to light this film had to be a challenge because the film takes place at night. 99% of the film takes place at night and in dark, you know, attractions. But the lighting is stellar. And I love that they they play around with like, and it's not, it's not like over the top, like blatant, like jallo lighting like I did in Teacher Shortage that probably nauseated some people. But there are very like subtle parts of the movie where the lighting tint changes to like red or green, depending on who's in frame and what's going on. I feel like a, a lot of thought was put into this movie. And it just, it, like I said, I'm going to keep saying this, but it yeah. just kills me that this film did not do as well as it did because I would have loved to have seen a sequel. And I'm going getting way ahead of myself. <laughs> well, I think based off what you're saying with the lighting there, Troy, is I think the thing that does it favors is the lighting. They make sure that it plays into the environment that yes. they're in. I mean, the yes. lighting, it never seems unnatural or forced because it's a haunted house. If ever you're going to be in a room that's filled with crazy fucking lighting, it's here in fucking Hellfest, the seven-mile-long traveling theme park. Like, you know, so, like, it just, it makes sense. But, God, like, they just, they, they take it and they run with it and they make the most of it. It's phenomenal. So are you saying there's a movie where the lighting is forced, Roger? <laughs> Certainly no movie I'm in, Troy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's a, yeah, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful film. Uh, they, they finally, the group finally enters one of the maze attractions and there's like five or six of these different like giant maze attractions that these characters enter. And this first one Nat and Gavin are together and they have to go down like one of the hallways and it's full of like mannequins on both sides and it's real creepy. And, and Gavin's like, well, you just got to look at their hands. You're going to be able to tell if they're real from, from their hands. And one is real at the end and it grabs them and they take off running through the attraction. The girls run into the guy in the mask who is chasing one of the girls and she's like pleading for her life. And it's, it's Natalie Taylor and Brooke somehow Gavin got separated from the group and they're watching and they think it's part of the show. Like this girl is literally like saying, help me, help me. He's coming after me. And she crawls into this like little like crawl space and they just sit and watch as this like killer comes in the room and he's like sizing them up. And they're like, dude, you're not scary you need to like get back on script. What are you, what are you doing? And he like gets right in front of Natalie's face and they kind of have a little tense filled stare down because we already know if this is the killer from the beginning of the film, that he has no qualms about like killing somebody like in a split second. However, he doesn't. Natalie says, dude, what's your problem? Get back on script. The girl that you're chasing, she's right in that little cubby hole right there. That's who you want. What's he do? He goes, grabs this poor girl out. And uh, violently by the hair, I must say, like really violently to the point where Brooke and Taylor are like, dude, this is too much. We, we're out of here. They don't want to stay and watch it. Interestingly enough, because she seems to be like the, the, the meekest character, like the one that probably would be the most scared. She, Natalie actually stays and watches and she really thinks it's part of the attraction. And the guy pulls out his knife and raises it. And Natalie actually says to him 
<laughs> do it already. And he listens to her and stabs this poor girl into the chest and murders her. And I, I really like this scene because you can tell there is a point by her facial expression where she actually is starting to think, oh, shit, this is real. I'm going to say this a few times, but um, one of the best scenes in the film in the sense of, I mean, the layers to it. When you think of what actually is not only what's happening in the moment, but like how <laughs> that would like affect somebody after the fact. Because, yeah, Natalie, like I think Natalie is she's uh, she's a, a, a thinks with a lot of reason. And so in this situation, there's no reason she's going to suspect mm-hmm. anything more than actors because she's trying to really not be phased by what's going on around her. The haunted house is not necessarily someplace she's dying to be. But so she's there, you know, she's there to appease her friends. So she sees this and she's like, go ahead and fucking do it. Like, you're trying to scare me. She's looking at this, you know, as as though it's a performer. And she's like, I'm over it. Yep. But there is that moment. You're right. We're like, as the tension is building and they do such a great job with this moment of, of, you know, just letting the tension mount before the knife goes down. You do see the moment where she's like, Oh shit, this is too much, you know? And they do a great job of capping that moment off. Like right after she runs outside, she sees two actors basically recreate, you know, doing, doing a murder, a similar style murder, but one that's very obviously being played out in front of them. And you see just how fake it is compared to what she just saw, which was very brutal. Um, and this is the first time that the killer connects with Natalie, but it starts a great game of cat and mouse and infatuation with her that carries throughout the rest of the film. Um, but this being the, this being the setup for why he's obsessed with her, why he chooses her next it's a great fucking scene, and it really sets the tone. Yeah, because what we gather from this killer is that once he's fixated on somebody, he basically doesn't stop until he achieves his goal, which we know is killing them. So he's become fixated on Natalie now. And the group goes off to play some games, and we, we see that Gavin, bless his cute little heart, he is trying to play this ring toss game, and it's failing miserably. He is a horrible little game player and he wants to win Natalie, the stuffed animal. And she's like, dude, you're bad at this. <laughs> I mean, I just love their interaction. He's just like, dude, you suck at this. Don't even, don't even spend any more money. Like you really suck. And he's like, Oh, well, my, that makes me feel good. Uh, their interaction is really cool. Uh, they then have this scene where they go into this photo booth. And again, I love their interaction here. It's very natural. They're trying to do different poses. She's trying to tell him what poses to do. And he's like being awkward and messing them up. And they have a lot of little fun before they finally kiss. In the meantime, the killer is sees them going to the photo booth and he is stalking towards them. Like there's a it's intercut between them having fun in the photo booth and the killer coming right at them. And we're like, oh, shit, they are stuck in this little photo booth. What's what's going to happen? Well, Natalie and Gavin kiss their pictures come out of the photo booth and the killer takes them. That's all he wanted was these pictures. And he, he walks away. Brooke does see this and she proceeds to chase the killer down. I'm like, Brooke, damn, you got some balls. They do a lot of really things. Well, here, (laughs) first of all, this sequence, I mean, you just had this great scene with this. Now, you know, you have, let's be real. We have two victims in, 
we've seen two, we've seen an opening kill, and now a first victim in this timeline. Um, so already, like, they've got that, and they got to it pretty quick. Even if it's not part of the core group, they're starting to rack up a body count. Second of all, they do such a good job of cutting to moments of natural levity and fun between these characters that suddenly transition into these moments of like suspense because we as the audience obviously we know something else is going on but these kids are so distracted because they're having such a good time and it makes just for when these moments of suspense do start to build the shift in that energy is it's impactful you feel it and that moment when they're kissing and it is such just a damn likable scene between these two and they have no idea they're even being watched let alone that he's walking up and you know taking their photos they they don't see any of it happen and i love that aspect of this when he does you know run off and brooke chases after him they also do a really good job of creating natural scenarios where characters do go off alone or do get separated this movie never has anyone make a choice that seems like a really awful choice. People naturally get separated in the mazes. They get separated because they're in this massive park. Nothing seems like a character being dumb. And that makes me like them that much more. Oh, I agree. That's another thing I kind of made note of is, is the separation that these characters have when they do get separated is very natural. It's not forced. It's not somebody making a stupid decision. Everything is very well executed. I do like this scene because Brooke actually chases him down and she actually finds herself like away from the crowds, you know, behind these buildings where like there's nobody around. She's she's by herself, basically. And we we as the audience hear the humming, the tune being hummed kind of in the background as she's by herself. And we're like, oh shit, you know, what's going to happen? And what happens is we get a jump scare with Quinn, you know, jumping up behind her and be like, hey, what are you doing? Like, and she's like, oh, I, I took care of it. And they kind of go and join the group. I mean, again, this film does a really great job at building tense moments. And this next scene, I think, is where the film hits its stride in. Uh, like letting us know that it's not playing around and it's not holding anything back, which then makes all these future tense scenes even that much more unnerving because we've already seen, Hey, Oh my God, this, this film is doing shit that I didn't expect it to do so quickly. Right. It feels like it would also be like, I mean, to start off, this movie kind of feels like it would have a PG 13 rating. Yes. Like, that's something I want to acknowledge. Like, there's no nudity. There's not even forced sexuality other than Taylor just being super flirtatious with her friends. It's not even an, it's not even an aspect of this, which makes for, again, these characters to be that much more believable, that much more realistic. Like, they're just there to have fun. And when you do, I, I, I agree with what you're saying, because when they do finally start affecting the lead group of characters, when they start to fall prey to the killer... They don't hold back. I mean, nobody is safe, you know, mm -mm. and I appreciate that about this film. The group decides they're going to head to the most elaborate maze called the Deadlands. In order to get through the Deadlands, though, there's a couple of mazes they have to go through first. Gavin tells Asher basically, hey, I'm going to I'm going to leave the group. I'm going to say I have to go to the bathroom or something, and I'm going to go get uh, I want to go win Natalie, one of these stuffed animals. So he makes an excuse and is like, hey, he tells Natalie and everybody, hey, I'll join up with you later. Just go. And she's like, oh, what are you doing? He's like, oh, that bearded lady we met earlier. I'm, I have a date with her. You know, just a little joking shit like that that makes their interactions cute. He goes. He separates from the group. 
he goes to the game that he spent all the money on, the ring toss game, and asks the the attendant, hey, I spent like 50 bucks here. Can you give me one of the stuffed animals? That's in the dive's like, uh, no, I'll lose my job. And we we sympathize with this poor kid. All he wants to do is get this stupid little stuffed animal for his, the girl that he loves. Even though, I mean, I feel like she wouldn't have cared one way or the other whether she had a stuffed animal or not. He's hell-bent on getting it, and it leads to his fucking demise. Because as he's walking back, he sees this worker come out of this building carrying a bunch of stuffed animals and if you're paying attention you can hear like another worker in the background be like hey did you get enough inventory and he's like yeah there's still a lot of stuff left in the lockers so gavin makes the decision to go into this building that is housing all of the stuffed animals for these games to get one this is okay i have to say if there's any moment and this is a minor gripe roger a minor gripe but if there's any moment in the film that I felt was a little off or a little forced, it was this one because I feel like the Gavin character from what we know of him so far has really been kind of straight laced. Uh, he's goody goody. He, he, he's not going to do anything that is like, you know, against rules or anything like that. That's why he goes right away and asks, can he get a stuffed animal? I felt like making this decision for this character just felt a little forced. I don't know if you agree with me because I don't see that this character would go into this building and actually steal something being what we know of him so far. I get that he really wants to impress his girlfriend, but I feel like he would have done it in a different way, but he goes into this building to get a stuffed animal and it's the worst decision. This poor cute innocent little kid boy could have made. And I feel really bad because this is horrible, horrible that his death scene is so fucking brutal. And he is like one of the most likable characters. I think they were very intentional in de- making him the first one to be killed because he is written to be so likable. And I think, I mean, I, I hear you on that. It is. It, I don't think it is a decision he would normally make to do what he's doing, but I think he is so smitten with her that, like, it's that, like, that, you know, that romantic high you get when you're, I mean, you remember when you're fucking 18 years old and you've had someone express that they liked you too, and you do anything to make them happy, you know? And I think it's one of those things where, I think you even see the moment where he, like, doubts it, but he's like, I'm gonna do it anyways. And I think that makes it that much more impactful when you as a viewer realize he really shouldn't have fucking stolen that fucking doll because yeah this kill man i mean his character is so sweet and they show him no mercy and like there's a moment where he goes to like you know because obviously there's this whole moment where he turns around he closes the locker boom killer they have a little moment where he's just kind of sassing the killer being like what's your fucking problem man blah 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 so he turns to walk away when the killer grabs a mallet that was laying there, like from it's from one of those like you know the bell you hit it it hits the bell a huge mallet we have it's, it's huge it's so oversized it's a massive mallet and it's a real mallet it's not like plastic and and um so the killer uses it to trip him and when he drops there is a moment where he rolls over and you see like in this actor's face he does a great job of like displaying oh shit man what the fuck are you doing like the fear becomes so obvious and palpable and then the killer fucking does the low blow of like jabbing the end of the mallet like the stick right into his adam's apple 
Ugh. And like you know how fucking painful that is, Troy. You've got a problem in Adam's apple. How many times have you had that smacked? And you're like, oh, <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> imagine someone intentionally doing that to you. But it's and it's not like it's not a tap. He full fledged pounds that mallet and into this poor kid's throat. And this kid is like gasping for breath, like rolling around on the floor, just gasping. And then the killer does one more and like bashes him in the chest with it and then drags him and puts his head on the um, base of that, the bell thing. The game, the game where you hit hit the thing and it hits the bell and everything. Yes. And this poor kid is just gasping for breath and you know, he's in pain. He's like writhing and, and the killer raises the mallet and fucking smashes this kid's head. And it shows like his head, like explode like a fucking watermelon. Oh my God. They just show you, they just give it like enough frames to really see a moment of the aftermath. Yeah. But like, you see it, like you see it. They cuts away pretty quick, but it's timed like perfectly. Like if it lingered anymore, it would probably have been cheese dicky. They give you just enough to be shocking, you know? Yeah, we've seen some pretty bad head smashes in our during our podcast days, Roger. If you remember the Toxic Adventure, the watermelon with a wig on it, <laughs> this is yeah, this is way beyond that. I mean, it lets it's it looks realistic, and they cut just enough to to make it look realistic. But right away, I'm like, this is the nicest character in the fucking film. This is the character that you really think is going to like maybe make it to the end with his girlfriend. Or this his love interest, but he's the first one to go, and it's such a brutal way that we are now like, okay, this movie is not holding anything back. So who, nobody's safe. What's going to happen? So the group gets into this ride, and it's one of those rides now that you don't walk through. You actually get in one of those little like cart cars. What are they called? Cars, I guess. And so you get uh, Natalie, and Natalie has to ride by herself. She's in one of these cars by herself. Uh, Brooke and her boyfriend Quinn are in one, and then uh, Taylor and Asher are in one. But Natalie's by herself, so she's going through, and it's just one of these typical funhouse type things where you're riding through these on these little cars, and things are jumping out, props are jumping out. All of a sudden, Natalie's car stops, and the lights go off, and you're like, "Oh shit!" And these red emergency lights come on and start flashing. And right away, we see this figure standing like a few feet away from, from Natalie staring at her. And we right away recognize that it's the, the same mask, the same everything. And each time the light flashes, I thought they did a really good job here too. Each time the light flashes on and off, he's closer to her until he's literally like right there. And she's like screaming and we get, there's a voiceover on the speaker saying, we are experiencing some electronic difficulties please bear with us and she is screaming bloody murder and this figure is right on her it's very well done oh god i mean at this point it's really kind of like one effective scene after another and they they don't lose their stride and that's what's impressive and i think again you see it's because you have a moment right before this where they're having a really great time um everybody kind of buys um um oh god what's what's the love interest's name what is his name? Gavin? Every, yeah, everyone's kind of buying him time because they all are clued in on, like, the gift. So, like, nobody's worried. You know, there's no concern. And with Natalie, like, she's she's fine with it. She's pissed she has to be in this car alone. for, But, like, she's over it. It's whatever. You know, they're still having a great time. And you're seeing all of them getting startled and making out and everything. And then, like, you get hit with this 
moment where the car breaks down, the cart breaks down. And the transition from like light and fun to dread, it, it's like a switch. I mean, literally, like the lighting and everything. It's like a switch. And this is where Tony Todd's voice starts coming in because he's the one making the announcements. Like his voice alone adds so much to a moment because it's so distinct. And you associate him with so many like horror iconic, you know, characters and everything. So again, it just adds another layer to everything. But um, this this moment, I mean, it's it's even the payoff because, like, you know, she doesn't get hurt. It ends up being an actor and they're all in the same mask. But when the cart comes out and he's just sitting there looking at her, like, you start to realize the actors in this haunted house are really going to be kind of relentless too. So, like, how are we even as the viewers going to necessarily know when it's the killer and when it isn't sometimes, you know? One thing I will say, one thing I will say, Roger, is I think, I still think this, I thought it when I first saw this movie, I have to admit something because you gushed over her. When I first saw this movie, I, in the theater, I was not at all really a fan of the final girl. I don't know what it was when I was watching it. I think I just think the other two character, the other two female characters are so much more energetic and engaging and, and just have a little bit more personality than this one. And I was like, Oh God, of course they're going to make the bland, the girl, the final, the final one out. However, watching it these last two times, I actually have become very endeared by her. So I, I I'm going to forget that that was my first impression. I think it's, she's a, it's a great performance. However, can I say how much cooler this film would have been, I think, and, and really upped the ante big time if they would have killed her during this scene? Yeah, I. it does really feel like it's going to go that route. And then, of course, it's like with the audience, it's like, tricked ya. Like, Because you think, I mean, the way they build it up, he's right on top of her and she can't get out of this cart. She's locked in. But, I mean, like... Uh, like I said, I do I do appreciate that now it does feel because they even say they're in this new level of the park where people are going to be allowed to touch you and things, and it adds an extra element of like that killer. Like when it really is the killer, he's going to be able to get right up on them. But until then, you've got all these actors doing the exact same fucking thing. So how are they going to even know it? It makes it so fucking uncomfortable and scary. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with you. I think that it's it's very smartly done. But I was like. I was just like, damn, it would have been cool if they would have killed her off right here because that would have been totally unexpected. And I love the unexpected. I love when, when films do something totally unexpected, but they didn't. Lo and behold, she lives and the group goes on into enter the Deadlands. In order to get through, they have to like stick their hand in this like dummy, the guts of this dummy to find like a key or something. And so Quinn won't do it. Asher does it. He gets the key. And right away, right when he gets whatever it is he has to get, this like monster comes up and grabs Taylor and carries like carries her away. So we get we we are getting the impression. I mean, it's very very deliberate. Like you said, we're getting the impression now that nothing is off limits. So it is going to be really easy for the killer to strike, even if there's people around, because it's expected. Yeah, there's even like a moment where they're like all gathered back together and all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, all of these like children, small children, like dolls, they're little doll children. They just come out of nowhere. They're covered in like moss. They come out of the shadows and they're just like lead them to like another, another maze. And then they like go away. And it's like, it's fully interactive. Like, take me to this fucking park. I'll shit myself, like my pants 
at least three times, but I'm going to have a great time doing it. Yeah. So that, 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 the monster that grabbed Taylor takes her and drops her off. So the group has to go and get her. And that's when these, like they're standing around all of a sudden you out of the fog come these like little kids and they lead the group into this giant maze. The girls decide to go one route. The guys go the other so the girls maze, basically their big set piece is this long hallway that has all of these arms sticking out of it. And as they're going down the hallway, it gets narrower and narrower. So the arms are like, you have to actually go through these arms to get through this hallway. And of course, as they get to these, the end, the arms start grabbing them. So they take off running. The guys basically set pieces that train that comes out. And honks at him and like chases him down, which I remember that thing. That fucking thing is scary. The very first haunted house. Oh, in the moment, it's terrifying. Oh, I, yeah. the very yeah, the very first haunted house I ever went to as a kid that scared the fuck out of me. This train just coming. Out. There's also like an overdose room. There's like an oh, overdose yes. room where like Asher like Ugh. he sees one of because there's one at one point in the movie they all get shots and they're like given to them as like in like a hospital setting and they're all like syringes and like IV bags. Uh-huh. So he sees one of these like syringes next to like a woman who is like a dead like an overdose body and so he like just goes to grab it and she like of course goes to grab him so you have all these scares that are just like natural like haunted haunted house environment scares and you're still jumping at those too uh, so like the frights are unlimited well asher runs asher and quinn get separated because when that train blows its horn asher takes the fuck off and leaves quinn in the meantime natalie has become separated and she runs into the killer who is we, we don't know this right away because the way it's framed, you can't tell that he's behind glass. You think he's like literally standing right in front of her. I thought this was really well done too because it really looks like he is standing in front of her. She comes face to face with him and you're like, oh shit. But all of a sudden he starts pounding on the glass and you're like, oh shit, okay, he's behind glass. She takes off running and tells the group, oh my God, that guy's still in there. He's following us. And they're like, well, yeah, that's kind of the point. You know, Natalie, that's that's what we're here for. In the meantime, Asher is off exploring his little area by himself. And again, these these quick these kills come quick because he immediately runs into the killer who punches him, knocks him to the ground. Had, the killer has gotten a hold of one of these syringes. And there is a grueling scene that reminds me a lot of like the scene in zombie where the girl's getting pulled towards the the splintered wood. And you're just like, just waiting for it to happen. It's even framed almost similarly Uh where the killer is bringing down this needle, this hypodermic needle and Asher trying to fight him, but we know it's not working. And then the needle is getting closer and closer. And then there's a, a, a frame of just his eye as he plunges this needle into this kid's eye and it i mean it it shows it it shows it it doesn't cut away not only does he plunge it into his eye once it's in his eye he gives it a punch so it goes literally all the way into his eyeball it is pretty graphic yeah we just got two back-to-back stellar deaths with this um and this sequence uh, like one thing i really like is this movie, in some ways, they uh, the 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 team behind it, the director, they chose to almost go like kind of like a hyper realistic take on what a slasher would be, because they like show everything. They show where the killer picks up each weapon, each decision he makes, how he navigates each maze. Like he is very calculated, and you see him 
you know, it's as simple as he goes to the haunted house and he grabs a prop where they had an actual fucking syringe which I believe I have been to some trash ass haunted houses in my day. <laughs> I've seen some real shit. I completely believe that there would just be a syringe laying out as part of the decor, just like there would really be a real axe used as a prop in this place. Like, let's be real. Completely realistic. So, um, when you see, you see the killer, like, grab the syringe, you know it's going to be used. And this is another example of a kill where, like, yeah, not only do, do they go through the process of showing us this really great eye puncture like you see it go in you see the whole thing but then to give it the extra like smash into the skull like it just yeah it makes your skin crawl and like god like some of these kills again why is this movie not acknowledged for being fucking great because like yeah two back-to-back stellar lead character deaths way more than already many of the movies we've reviewed already have already like not had this many great kills and we're only halfway into the cast that's the question of the week is how come this movie is not more celebrated? And if you're listening to this, you know, and you see our post on social media and you are one that maybe isn't a fan of this movie, please tell us why. I'm really curious. I'm really curious as a slasher fan. Like I am a, you guys should know this by now. I mean, Roger knows this. Everybody knows I'm a slasher fan. I've that's my, that's the subgenre of horror. I love, I adore slasher films. I've made three of them. So as a slasher fan, I feel like this film does everything right. And I just, I'm just so curious that it just came and went without making much impact or much noise. So anyways, now Asher's dead and they outside the group, the rest of the group is outside this like alien, like chud looking creature comes up to Natalie and it's like, and like, can't get it out (laughs) squirts her that's what i was trying to say squirts her with this like slime (laughs) and they're all the group thinks they think it's hilarious and they're like oh you got slime that's so awesome of course it leads to this scene with her and brooke going into the bathroom so that she can wash this slime off of herself there is a kind of a touching little moment about between Brooke and Natalie where we get again a more glimpse into their friendship, how long they've been friends. I mean, they've been friends for quite a long time. They talk about finally going to Spain together. And Brooke's like, hey, I'm going to go meet me outside. So Brooke leaves her in the bathroom. And there is this scene where Natalie is drying her hair now under the hair dryer. And the killer appears right in front of her, but she can't, she doesn't know he's there because the hairdryer is going, it's, it's loud. She's not paying attention. And he is literally just standing there staring at her. And we're like, oh shit, what's going to happen? I feel at this point, this, this is one of the first sequences that seems like a little bit larger than life to me than other things I've seen. Like girl would, she'd look over and she'd be like, oh shit, like there's no way she's not going to see him, but does it make for an effective sequence? Yes. Um, I, I, I still enjoy it. And they make the wise choice of continuing the pursuit as she goes into the stall. And they do a really great little moment with the cell phones where she texts, um, Again, tell me the boyfriend's name, Troy. I keep losing it. Gavin. Gavin. Gavin Rothdale. Gavin DeGraw. It's there. I'll, I'll keep Gavin DeGraw is going to keep it in my mind. And he looks like a Gavin too. He has he kind does. of that shaggy hair. And... He does. But she's texting him, and as as she sends the messages, immediately you hear a cell phone in the bathroom go off, 
And uh, they, they play with some really great little tropes. We've seen this before, but just the way they do it in this sequence, it is creepy. It's creepy, and it, it builds up to a moment where he basically traps her in the stall, and she has to crawl underneath, and uh, he almost grabs her by her hair, and she books from the stall. And what I really like up to this point is she's already been suspecting something. She's had a few little encounters that made her feel uncomfortable. They've seen the guy watching a few points, but it's been excused up to this point every single time. Oh, it's an actor. Oh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it, uh, right when she was starting to kind of like panic about it after getting out of the last, the last haunted house, that thing came up and slimed her. So like, there's always been like a shift in, in conversation that's made people kind of just forget about it, including her to a certain extent. This encounter, uh-uh, she knows that this is out of line. And the fact that he literally grabs at her, I mean, it, it, it changes her character for the rest of the film. She is now aware that she's being targeted and she's now aware that she's actually potentially in danger. Yeah, there is a, because he tries to get her. She has to crawl under one stall to get into the other. And that's when he does grab her and uh, she breaks out of the bathroom. The one thing that I will say is we've, okay, we've all been to these like amusement parks and things like this, right? Where they're packed with people. You know damn well, Roger, that that bathroom is not going to be empty with just her in it for that long of time. There is usually lines out the fucking bathroom. So that was the one thing I was like, okay, this is a little unrealistic because there's no way for 10 minutes that nobody else is going to go into this bathroom. We've all been there. We've seen the lines. I just wanted to say that, but it's very suspenseful. It's very well done. They actually get a, a security guard and the security guards like, I don't know what you want me to do. You're, you're, you're mad because you got scared at a haunted attraction. It sounds like the people were doing their job. That conversation with the security guard goes exactly the way I would anticipate a conversation with this security guard would go in this kind of specific seasonal event. You know, this guy is is hired for three months. He hates his fucking job. Uh, he's, he's a hot pocket bandit. He goes home and he is like a fucking loser. And this guy plays it great. He's so like, he just completely talks down to the girls and is completely just, what the fuck are you expecting me to do? You're at a haunted house. Well then, but then uh, Brooke sees the photos laying on the floor, Gavin and Natalie's photos on the floor. And she picks them up and she's like, oh my God, look, here's your photos. It's you and Gavin. And the security guard's like, who's Gavin? And she's like, oh, that's, we, he was our friend we were here with. So this automatically makes the security guard think, well, you know what? It sounds like your Gavin friend is playing a prank on you. So happy Halloween. There's nothing I can do. Goodbye. Very dismissive. Next scene is the Tony Todd scene. And not enough Tony Todd. No, no, but I, it's good to see him in a film that has a little bit more high budget behind it. Even though like he's in it 30 seconds, he plays like this carnival MC slash judge thingy that comes out on stage and is like, welcome to Hellfest. I'm going to, you are going to be judged, blah, blah, blah. Taylor has volunteered to be part of the act. So there's like this little, cute little interaction with her and Tony Todd, where he's like, tell me, have you sinned? And she's like, you goddamn right. I have, I've run circles around all the seven deadly sins. What? And he's like, do you know your punishment? And she's like, Ooh, what your head. So she's like tied to this guillotine and, uh, the executioner comes out and 
Brooke and Natalie are watching from the audience and Brooke's like right away because of what just happened to her. Obviously she's really worked up. She's like, something's not right. Something is not right. I'm getting a bad feeling. And she looks up at the stage and she notices the executioner's shoes are the exact same as the killers. So as this whole little gig is going on where Taylor is supposed to be getting her head cut off, Natalie tries to rush the stage and it's done in slow motion it's very much to me had to have been homage to Carrie, the prom scene when uh, right before Carrie gets the pig blood jumped on her, dropped on her, and Sue Snell is running up the stage and it's in slow motion, and Miss uh, Desjardins is pulling her away in slow motion. It's the same thing because you have uh, Natalie rushing the stage, the security guards pulling her back. It's all in slow motion as the blade starts to drop, just like the pig blood. Cuts her head off. It's. I was like, oh my God, they are totally homaging the prom scene in Carrie. And I love it. I love it. Yeah, I, I think this whole sequence is really well handled. And it could have been, you know, as, as, even though it does make for a very minor appearance by iconic Tony Todd, um, I wouldn't necessarily have wanted that scene to have gone on anymore because they, they pretty quickly transition it from the shtickery of it, you know, they make kind of a joke of it for a moment because it's not really her head. She, it's a, it's a doll, you know, it's part of the act and that makes it palatable, you know, uh, but then they quickly transition back from the fun to the fear. Like I said, this movie balances fun and fear famously. It does such a phenomenal job. And one thing I do want to say with Tony Todd is this is definitely not enough Tony Todd to appease my lustful desire for more um but because his voice is so prominent throughout the course of the film you are hearing him at all times this mc character is the voice of the park which makes me think very much of final destination um three with the with the roller coaster and it was his voice as the voice of like you know it was like welcome to hell like that's literally what it said it was it was his voice doing it um, so it definitely gave me Final Destination vibes for this moment, which I appreciated. Yeah, it's it's very well done. We cut to Taylor is now behind stage. She's still trapped at the gu- guillotine. And there's the executioner standing there, which we know now really probably isn't, uh, is probably really the killer. And she's like, can you let me up? And he's like, shakes his head yes at her. And instead of letting her up, he like pulls her back into the her head back into the guillotine and like straps her uh tightly down and she's like freaking out but in kind of a playful way like she's really trying not to be like a bitch she's still trying to maintain a sense of humor about it but it's obvious that in a split second that she's in real danger and she knows it because he's pulling the the strap so tightly and he has her head like literally strapped so she can't move it. And then he takes off his executioner mask and he's it's the killer and his creepy ass flesh mask. And she's freaking out and he raises the guillotine and drops the blade, but it doesn't really do anything because it like catches on her necklace that she has on. It like cuts her neck a little bit, but that's, that's about it. So he's trying to figure out what to do uh, and how to how to how to remedy it so it actually works. And in the meantime, she's able to escape, and she she gets off of the guillotine and runs out into the crowd. Yeah, this whole uh, twist, you know, the 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 change from the humor 
to the fear, as I said, it, it works really well with this moment with the guillotine because she gives a really good performance. Um, you, when, when, when he reveals the mask is when it clicks for her. Because at this point, she's already had it pointed out to her that this guy has been following the group. So, you know, she starts to realize it and she's panicking and she's squirming and she can't really move. And then the, the blade comes down and it's this dull blade, which, I mean, when you think about it, that had to fucking suck. Oh my god, imagine being on the receiving end of that, having having to dig into the back of your neck and like cut into some of the muscle. Because it like knocks the wind out of her. She gets knocked out for a minute from it. Understandably so. And I love it. She's like slowly starting to come to. And the the blow of the blade has caused like the belt around her neck to loosen. So she's able to, you know, get free. And it's what a great buildup to this really dramatic moment where she runs into the crowd screaming for help. She's bleeding from her neck. Unfortunately, if I have one complaint, probably the same as mine. Yeah, it's it's you know you've got thus far we've had nothing but increasingly better kills, and we've had these really great characters who when they you know when they die, it impacts at least it impacts me. I don't know about you. I can only speak for myself, but it's impacted me. I don't want to see any of these characters die. So what they do here is when she is finally confronted by the killer. We are given not only one rush kill, we're given a double whammy. Because Quinn comes up basically to see what's going on. And the killer, in like one foul swoop, he guts Taylor and he stabs Quinn right in the chest. And it's so fast. And I think it's meant to be the shock of it that like, you know, take us aback. But man, after like really like establishing just what you can do with some fucking creative, awesome kill sequences... This seemed like a wasted opportunity to me. Yeah, I agree. I, I it's it was super quick, uh, very anticlimactic in terms of these two characters who we, especially Taylor's character, like she's pretty a pretty prominent character through the film, and and to have her killed off in such a quick like way, and we don't even get to see her like actually body drop or anything. We just see the knife go in, and he lift it up, and then pull, cuts away. And Quinn comes up and says, "Hey, what are you doing?" And gets stabbed immediately. It's almost like why did they let her get away from? If they were gonna kill her off, they should have killed her off in the guillotine, which would have been a lot more effective, kind of cool death for her. And, and instead, we get two very quick, like scream three type stabbings where the characters are just dispatched like that. And it is my it is one of my biggest gripes yeah. in the film is these last two characters being taken out so quickly. But now we know this killer is not playing around and he everyone's like freaking out because they realize, oh shit, this is real. So people are being cleared from the park and there's an announcement, you gotta exit the park right away. But the killer has his sight set on Natalie and Brooke and follows them into a haunted house attraction. The chaos that takes place after this kill, I will say like if there's a payoff, it's basically that the entire park erupts because the killer stabs these two in front of everybody and then runs off into the smoke, you know? And so of course the two remaining girls, Brooke and Natalie, they, they take off running into the crowd and um, they, they do a really smart, they make a smart decision of showing some of the security team take down one of these hooded guys and removing the mask only to reveal that it's another guy, you know, because as we saw at one point earlier, there's at least 15 of these guys within the park running around with the same mask. It's kind of like a theme of the park. Um, and so they can't really identify where he is, but the girls know they're being pursued um, and they get chased into what is supposed to be like, 
out of all the haunted houses, hell is the scariest. You're going to hell. Apparently, this is the one that's supposed to be scarier than any other attraction in the whole Hellfest. Um, unfortunately, and this may just be my opinion, but comparatively speaking to the other mazes I have seen thus far, I would argue that Hell is the scariest. I think it's pretty par for the chorus. Like, I've been to plenty of haunted houses, and I've seen a lot of them that look like Hell. Uh, not a lot of this specific haunted house scares the bejesus out of me, or at least blows me away with a creativity factor, as compared to other ones I've seen before. It doesn't mean it's bad, and it doesn't mean that it's not a great finale. It's just like, okay, if you're going to talk this up, you better you better provide a phenomenal experience. Yeah, it's, it's very much like a fair-type fun house. You know, if this was supposed to be the scariest attraction, then you should have actual actors in there, like grabbing them, chainsaws going off, like people chasing them that wouldn't have necessarily heard that they're clearing the park out because they're in this attraction, right? Yeah. Instead, it's empty and the whole atmosphere and fear is not like from uh, attraction actors, but it's from like these set pieces that are very basic. Like very basic. It's like, oh, you step on a, you, you walk through a doorway and you set off the, uh, a, an alarm that buzzes real loud and something pops out at you. So they, they, they realize that real quick. So they go, they quit stepping on these through these like laser beams that set off this buzzing sound every time you walk through a doorway and they go into a closet and hide. And it's kind of a cool scene because as they're hiding in this closet, they can hear the buzzing go off as the killer walking through the attraction. And once he gets far enough away, they get out of the closet and are able to run through the attraction. They come to a dead end. They freak out. Well, Brooke freaks out. Natalie's kind of keeping her composure. Brooke, Brooke is really breaking down at this point. And Natalie's like, we have to go back through. We have to get out of here. We can do it. They go back through. They come to this well, no, before they come to the room with all of those fucking white masks, Natalie, they, Nat, uh, the killer actually comes out of the darkness and, with an axe and hits Brooke in the leg with the axe. And, and they get kind of separated for a minute, but they actually run into this tiny room that's basically like a room full of mannequins with these like white masks on. And the killer comes in the room and obviously no one's to be seen, but we kind of get a shot of like one of the mannequins and we get a close up so we can see the eyes and we notice that it, they're actually, it's a real person. So we know that one of the girls put on one of these masks and robes and is standing there still as a mannequin watching the killer, like lurk through this room, looking at each of these mannequins trying to figure out, because I think he knows one of them has to be one of these girls, right? Yeah. It, it's, it's pretty standard fare at this point. The finale the finale is well handled. I mean, it's not a bad finale. It's just, I guess it, if there's ever a point in the movie that really falls into like trope territory, it's the finale. And so you've got that, yeah, this whole moment where one character's hiding and the other one's going to come out and pounce. I would say the saving grace of this finale and what it does for me is it shows just how resourceful and competent Natalie is. And I think for that reason, this finale works for me. Because, yeah, like, we've seen a lot of this before. To various degrees in other films. But these two girls are selling it. Once you have Brooke get injured with the axe sliced to the thigh. And I do like that he ups his... 
weapon to an axe for the finale because he has a constant rotating arsenal. So now we're on to an axe, which is, I think, the most intimidating of his weapons. He He's very relentless, and one of them is injured, so it really forces Natalie to step up to the plate, as, as we've talked about what we need from a final girl, what we want them to do. And she really doesn't hold back. She fights as though, you know, she fights like a, what I, I would expect from an 18-year-old girl to fight a grown man. But you know what, man? Like, the girl gets a fucking blow to the nose at one point. She's, like, bleeding down her face. Like, she's not holding any punches. Natalie's kind of a badass, and I do appreciate this finale for that reason. Yeah, well, well, the killer is in the room, and he, he's acting like he's going to walk out of the room, and then he turns around and immediately acts as one of the mannequins that he must have thought was one of the girls but it's not because once his axe is stuck in this mannequin this is when natalie comes out of her she's comes out of her hiding of as a mannequin and like starts beating him with this like board and she's more concerned about getting brooke out of there she's like brooke go 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 and she's like beating the killer and kicking there's like this scene where she like kicks him in the head as he's down yeah she's not holding anything back unfortunately he gets a good punch in and then like bashes her in the face with the edge of the, the end of the ax. So now we get kind of a mini little chase scene with Brooke kind of crying and carrying on and running through the maze. And she's not, now she's not even concerned about setting anything off. She's just running down this hallway and things are popping out. Noises are being made. She trips and falls. She's at the end of this hallway. There's nowhere to go. The killer emerges and is coming at her at an axe. She's backed into the wall. She can't do anything except kind of cry and whimper and be like, no, no, no. And right as he approaches her, she hits another one of those um, sensors and this door opens up and Natalie's there with this fucking huge spear of some sort and shoves it into the killer's stomach and stabs him. And the two are able to get out. They run to the doors and the minute they open the doors, the cops are everywhere. However, the cops come in, they get the girls out, the cops are looking around and we see the very, you know, Halloween ending shot of like the spot where the killer was laying because his axe is there and a puddle of blood is there, but the killer's gone. He's gone. He's Ugh, gone. Of course he is because unfortunately, though Natalie may be a badass, she didn't think to take the fucking axe and get it done herself. And that's a lesson we have Time and time again, witness young women overlook, get the job done. Yes. Take the head off the body. You got to separate the head. If you don't take the head off, the killer's going to come back. And you know what, man? The killer gets away. And it is disappointing. It's a little bit of a womp womp because I wanted to see, not only did I want to see these two survive, which they do, I wanted to see them take this fucker down because this guy killed a bunch of really fun, likable people. Um, he ruined a great seasonal experience. I'm sorry, but Hellfest will never operate again. That's being <laughs> shut down. Tony Todd is without a job. Uh -huh. So, and and you know what? Um, but seriously though, like once it gets to that point where where Brooke is running through the the maze, and like you said, she's not even worried about setting things off. There's like Freddy Krueger style hands coming through the like the black sheet walls. Even like it's it's pretty cool and it's pretty effective. But when she, you know, when she gets cornered by him, it is very desperate because her leg is very, like, she's got a big-ass cut on her leg. Like, it's not like she's making any stupid, foolish decisions. He just caught up with her. Um, and and I I do love that reveal. When he hits that laser and that door opens and she, you just see the fucking 
anger in Natalie's face when she stabs him. I'm like, you go, girl. So I'm happy those two made it. However, the killer is on the loose, and they are informed of this. The killer's on the loose, and they are informed of it. And we cut to a nice little suburban house decorated with Halloween lights and everything. And we see a truck pull into the driveway. Someone get out, enters the house, kind of walks methodically through the kitchen to this like pantry or this cupboard, opens the cupboard, and there are a variety of different masks hanging inside this cupboard. And very quickly, these masks are joined by the mask that this killer has been wearing all night. He hangs it on a hook to join all these other masks. And then we proceed to see the killer's point of view as he walks into his living room. There's a, the TV's on and there's a little girl laying on the couch. She wakes up. She looks kind of confused at first. She gets off the couch and all of a sudden she says, daddy, you're home. Hugs him. He's like, oh baby, I've missed you. Happy Halloween. Do you got anything for me? And he gives her the fucking doll that fucking Gavin stole for Natalie. And the movie ends. The movie ends. And I have a few things to say about it. <laughs> well, I was going to ask your opinion because I, I, I know that there are people that hate this ending. That absolutely despise um, it. There's a few things I like. First of all, I love the cabinet of masks. It's part of the reason I don't find his drab... Mm ensemble as big of a deal because it makes a lot of sense when he opens that cabinet and shows it to be a cabinet of masks because the opening kill if you look closely he's not wearing the same mask he wears through the majority of the film he's wearing another one of the masks that you see in there so it's like almost like this guy has different masks to go with different haunted houses um which i find pretty cool i love i love a killer with a rotating costume piece so i like that I like that he was driving a mom van. I like that. I I lo- I was like, really? This is like his like badass <laughs> like killer mobile. Okay, at least he can get the groceries done afterwards. Um, but this whole moment with the kid, I don't love it. But the fact that at least gave us that moment makes it more palatable for me. I'm someone who I I long, I yearn, I crave a great reveal moment. And when I don't get one, I'm often let down. And in this case, again, because this fucker killed, apparently without motive, just just infatuation, that's all it took. Like, I mean, I would have loved to have known who the fuck it was, um, but this ending is so, like, it's almost hokey, but it's very much like, um, it seems very intentional. I don't think they just tagged that on. I'm like, okay. If this is what you're going to give me, if this is a guy who's like a regular like house dad by day and by night he's a serial killer, that's intriguing enough for me that I'll I'll give it a, a pass. Okay, I'll buy it. I agree. I mean, I think that's what their intention was, that to show sort of uh, an antithesis between like someone who we think is just a everyday family man versus what they are really capable of. I mean, I think if you think about movies that have kind of done the same thing, there's been plenty of them. And if you think about like serial killers in real life, many of them are described as, Oh my God, I would never 
he was such a nice guy. He was such a family man. Look at like the BTK and like Ted Bundy. They were like, nobody suspected them. So I think it's an interesting take on a slasher villain to be just like this everyday guy who at the end of the night goes home to his kid. Uh, because it's that's not it's I'm sorry that's not unheard of and if you think it is you need to do some research on some of the most prolific serial killers in American history because many of them did just that they killed and then would go home to their wife and kids and act like nothing happened well on top of that Troy also like a guy picking like out of all of his environments selecting a haunted house like when you think of the simplicity of that Fucking, that's fucking scary and very believable. I wonder if there was, because I, I kind of, my big question really necessarily isn't like who it is. My question is why he chooses haunted house attractions to, to, to do this, because obviously it's something he does on an annual basis because the opening scene, and then we get other comments about other people being killed off in these haunted house attractions. I would curious to know why he's choosing the haunted house attractions. I kind of feel like Roger, I kind of feel like there was a sequel idea mm-hmm. planned. Mm-hmm. And if the film would have been more successful and made more money at the box office, we probably would have gotten it. However, because it, it cause it flopped and it didn't do anything. We're probably never going to get it. Oh, there's definitely a fan base that wants a sequel to this film. I mean, we, Oh, I know there is a fan base. And I, I also feel, um, with like the decision, what they did there, um, when you think about how a killer, a serial killer, and, and you know, like I said earlier in this film, this movie handles a lot of its situations in a realistic way. It's like a, it's like a, an ultra realistic take on a serial killer being all handled over the course of one night. Um, so, sure, some of the kills are kind of big. Sure, the finale has some tropes, but overall, the reason it works. And it feels so rooted in realism at times is because what environment can a masked individual move so discreetly amongst a crowd without being noticed other than something like a haunted house or an attraction like this? I mean, when you think about it, that killer fucking knows what he's doing. Um, because, yeah, that is the perfect environment for somebody to be discreet and go unnoticed and probably as people get separated and broken off by themselves in rooms all alone can probably kill people fairly easily in ways very similar to what we saw in this film Hellfest. so yeah that is why that ending works for me because really there's an eerie aspect of believability that applies to it no i agree it does make a lot of sense in fact i had wrote a script a while about uh, like my one of my first horror scripts and this was written way before Hellfest came out we're talking probably the late 90s you can you can find it online if you if you kind of search uh, I put it on simply scripts and they never took it down it's called homecoming but I have a whole scene in the film like the opening kill takes place in a haunted house attraction just kind of for that reason because it would be so easy to kill somebody in the, in a haunted house attraction without people doing anything about it because as this character is getting killed people are just walking by thinking it's part of the the attraction and that's what i said the beginning of the opening of this film reminded me so much of my that that death scene in my script where i was saying it's we've seen it done before because then like uh dark ride did the same thing um, there's been a couple movies, but yeah, it is. If you think about it, it is very much the prime location to be able to get away with something like this. And that's why to this day, haunted houses, haunted house attractions kind of freak me out. 
But that's, yeah, a Hellfest. It's a film that if you have not seen it, guys, I hope you didn't listen to this podcast if you haven't seen it. But if you have not seen it, check it out. If you have seen it, we I really want to know your opinion on it. Because, I, again, are we wrong in thinking that this film should be a lot more well-known and should have gotten a lot more attention than it did? What is it about this film that kind of held it back from making money at the box office or or anything like that? Yeah. And do you think time will be kind to this film? Because plenty of movies within the horror genre have aged like fine wine. And, you know, if you think of some of the more iconic films that have really become testament titles within the genre, they're movies that maybe didn't necessarily have a huge impact when they came out. It was as, as you know, they were looked back upon and studied and examined uh, that they became to came to be truly appreciated. The Shining is an example of that right there. The Thing is another one. You know, there's plenty of titles that are considered classics now, but when they first hit, it does they may or may not have really resonated at that time. So I I'm curious if Hellfest will be one of those movies, not to say it's on the same caliber as The Thing, John Carpenter's The no, Thing, but it's no, a great no. fucking movie and it is fun as all hell fest and um i really want to urge our listeners to fucking watch this film and yes what are your thoughts on it why did this movie not strike as much as other titles within recent years yeah my only thing is maybe it was all the halloween hype the halloween 2018 film hype that overshadowed this film's release because i don't remember seeing a lot of like uh press tv press trailers television trailers for this film kind of just hit theaters and it was pretty much gone very quickly and then halloween 2018 came out that that really is my theory as well i I think that's what it was to be honest because that when think about it when halloween 2018 came out that's all horror fans were talking about everything else under the radar so um i just maybe think it was a matter of, of unfortunate timing but uh that does not mean this movie should be forgotten so listeners watch it yeah, let's keep it alive each Halloween. Give it a watch. Uh, but that's Hellfest. So yeah, so uh, first things first is our, our next episode, Roger. Our next main episode. What what film are we doing? Because it's your pick. Well, Troy, you set a trend, first of all. Uh, I mean, when you said Hellfest, it automatically got me thinking of like movies set in haunted houses. And that then segued me to think of movies set in fun houses, which then brought me to an obvious choice of the fun house of <laughs> mm. the 1981 uh slasher directed by toby hooper um which is one that i have not seen in a while i've i've seen this movie multiple times but it's just one that i have just not revisited and i thought this is the time now is the time gosh yeah this was one that was on my list if you, if you look at my list of films to do for the podcast the fun house is definitely on there so i am super excited like you i have not watched the film in quite some time i bought the blu-ray a while back and it's still unopened so this is going to give me the perfect chance to open the blu-ray and and, and watch it in all its blu-ray glory or high definition glory. so i'm super excited about the fun house so that is our next episode that'll hit next week and then folks you gotta really tune in next week because we have uh, for our halloween episode we are really stepping up our games and we cannot wait to uh to share that with you but just hold tight hold tight it's gonna be like our names are in lights 
I yes. just feel so famous. We're so, so excited for it. But so the fun house will be our, uh, on our regular feed, our Patreon pick. I know we did. If you listen to our little Patreon episode, we just recorded our first one about our top three underrated final girls. We did mention that we, our first full length Patreon bonus episode was going to be the horror parody shriek. If you know what I did last Friday, the 13th, right? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. We kind of changed our minds only because it's not available very freely. Um, so we unwillingly changed our mind. This is the second time this has happened. We think we need to be a little bit more observant about picking films. But, but titles come and go. They come but and yeah, go. Because this one, this one was on Tubi not too long ago. Yes. I swear to God it was. And it's gone now and it's like nowhere streaming. Not even, you can't even get it on Amazon God. Prime. And video. I'm livid about it. I know. But maybe one day when it, if it gets hits Tubi again or gets re-released, we will cover it. Um, it's not like I was looking forward to watching it, but <laughs> it would have been fun to, to talk about. But anyway, so we changed our mind. So our very first full-length Patreon bonus episode I picked, and it's Halloween-themed, which is great. It's very recent, which is also very great. It's something that we would have never covered on our regular feed, I don't think. I would have never picked this film. But it has such a strong indie, it's an indie slasher film that has such a strong following. So strong that they just wrapped a sequel not too long ago that'll be coming out that uh, stars someone I work with, someone Roger worked with, Tamara Glenn from Halloween 5. She was in my film Teacher Shortage. So we are covering the film Terrifier. Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, it's hot. It takes place on Halloween. It has the creepy ass Art the Clown. It's ultra violent. And that's all I'm going to say about it, because I don't want to give away my opinion about the film, what I think about the film. I know it has a huge fan base. If you want to hear our thoughts on Terrifier, it'll be our first full length Patreon bonus episode. So join the Patreon and you will be able to have access to right now our top three underrated final girls. And then... Somehow, sometime early next week, our episode on Terrifier. Yeah, and this is, I think, a nice um, way to kick it off to prove that we ain't skimping with these Patreons. You, if you shake your coins for us, we're going to give you something real good. And these episodes are going to be, we're treating them just like anything else. Okay, so get yep. ready, buckle up. It's going to be a, a double dose of good times for our two, our two patients. Right, right. One of which is from the UK. Oh my goodness! This is what fame feels like. Right. We'll get more. We'll get more. We just have to. I know. I'm going for double digits. That's yeah, yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there. We people. We'll just keep putting out content, and people. You know, we wanna. We want people to listen. So yes. So that's what we have upcoming. So if you want to join the Patreon, go to Patreon, search Dark Night of the Podcast, or. The link will be in the show notes. And again, it's it, guys, it's not, it, it's pennies, uh, less than pennies a day to join. And it really, really helps us out. It's going to help us out with improving the show and, and getting, just making the show sound better, devoting more time to the show, all that fun stuff. So check it out. Yeah. So next week, join us for the fun house. The fun house. It'll be a real fun time. Won't it, Troy? Oh, it's going to be a blast. <laughs> but after tonight, Troy, I'll see you in hell. <laughs> yeah, the hell maze. It's the scariest one of them. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. Good night. Again, check out the Patreon or, oh, 
Oh, if you don't want to check out the Patreon, which is t- t- perfectly fine, what you need to do, yeah, right. You need to go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five star rating and a re- God damn it, give us a five star rating. Write a little review for us. It'll mean the world to us. It really. Oh will. my God, we have four reviews right now, and let me tell you, one day we got two of them in the same day, and Troy and I basically we were like pissing ourselves. We were, we were just giggling and on the phone telling each other how famous we are <laughs> oh it really just made our week so if you like to hear us happy and not bitching about things <laughs> consider at least giving us a review yeah yeah all right guys that's it that's it and yes this was a brief one we're under two hours we've really tightened up the format look at us we know what we're doing a year in by now <laughs> <laughs> all right guys good evening or good night <laughs> until next week when we discuss the fun house the fun house. Good night. Good night.